Welcome to Episode 8 of the Quilting Stories Podcast. Stay tuned for our interview with quilter Leo Ransom. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Quilting Stories Podcast. I'm joined on today's podcast by my co-host, Elaine Poplin, a quilter from Huntsville, Alabama. Our guest today is quilter Leo Ransom. Leo is a quilter who lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas, and he teaches his piecing and quilting technique to local guilds and quilters in Texas. Leo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So before we get started, I want, I'm Elaine, I wanted to tell people I am Messy Goat on Instagram. Jeff, who are you on Instagram? Jeff Rutherford. Okay. And Leo, who are you on Instagram? I am uh, Ransomed Artwork Studio. Excellent. Just wanted to get that up right at the beginning so that our listeners know who's talking. So, Leo, I am familiar with your work. I have seen it and admired it for a long time. But in case our listeners are not aware, how would you describe the quilts that you have made and currently make? Actually, I use a number of different techniques from... uh, a silhouette form that I build up on to layering to actually kind of like a confetti collage technique. So it just depends on the subject and my mood that day as to what technique I go with. Oh, excellent. I've made one quilt like that and it was, I, I didn't blink the entire time I was making it because <laughs> I was so excited and so into it. <laughs> okay. And so how did you, you how did you get started quilting originally? Is it something you grew up with? Was it um, something family members? How did you get started? My mom made me take home economics, my brother, my sister, and myself, because she was worried her health wasn't the greatest, that if something happened to her, that my dad might not be able to take care of us. So I was taking home ec. I had been sewing since I was 13. And here I am, 17. I've sewn three projects. The class is only halfway done. And the teacher tells me that she can't let me just sit there and she was going to give me another project. And I jokingly told her, I said, my mom will kill me if I ask for more money or fabric and uh-huh. she'll come up to the school to visit you. And she said, well, you can't just sit there. And she was piecing a quilt for her grandmother. So I asked her to show me what she was doing. And she taught me how to piece. And I really didn't do anything with it uh, until about 1998. Uh, for a family reunion, I decided to make a quilt. And from then on, I took off quilting again. Wow. So I've, I have noticed, as you said, you have a very specific technique for making your illustrative quilts. So faces of famous artists or historical figures. How would you describe it? You already mentioned it's a mix of many different ones, but specifically, if you want to go into more detail. Um, actually, I I really do enjoy doing uh, mostly historical figures, um, and uh, there are different celebrities and musicians who capture my attention, so I focus on those a lot more than most. Uh, right now, I am actually working on a piece that I don't want to go into too much detail but it's about a lot of the African-Americans who have passed away this year. Oh, wow. Oh, I and can't I wait to com- see it. I want to combine them all into one quilt. So we'll see how that turns out. Oh, well. 
Wow. So I, um, I just have to ask, do you have formal art training for the shadows and light and color? Or is that just all something self-taught? It's self-taught. And everyone keeps telling me that I'm way ahead of the game. Yeah, well, it's amazing because I'm I've tried and it's really, really hard. Have you ever I know your portraits tend to be realistic except for colors. Have you ever made more abstract, like in a different artistic style, cubism, et cetera? Or would you even want to? Uh, actually, that just doesn't really appeal to me that much. Excellent. And and I've tried and I don't feel like I'm any good at it. Yeah. Okay. I understand that actually a little too well. (laughs) (laughs) So can, can you explain kind of your most common technique? Um, I know it's hard without like visuals, but could you try to attempt to explain how you go about um, piecing and, and designing one of your illustrative quilts? Yes. Basically from start to finish, it's finding a photograph with good light And then I'll take that photograph, and I really prefer to take my own pictures if possible. Um, And I'll take it, and I'll run it through a Photoshop program. And I create my values as far as uh, light and darks. And most of the time, I like to work in the range of about four to seven color variations, um, four being the most common. So from there, then I sit down and I choose my color scheme. A lot of times I like to take colors that most people would not put together and look at them, see how they appeal to me and make the necessary adjustments. From that point, uh, I'll create a pattern as to how big I might want the piece to be. And I'll, if I have to, I'll go to, um, the local print shop, which for me is Office Depot, and I'll have them to blow it up for me and print it out. So then I use that as as my pattern for creating these pieces, and I will sit there and cut out um, each piece individually. So most of the time, I will create like the silhouette for it, and then I'll collage on top of it. Oh, wow. Do you use Fusible, or do you just put them on there with uh, glue or pins and then actually I do both. I use fusible and glue. And the reason why I do that is because sometimes the smaller pieces, they don't want to stick as well with the fusible. So I will glue those down in a heartbeat. Excellent. Do you have a specific fusible that you use? I know people oftentimes will go off on tangent, go off on (laughs) tangents about their favorite fusibles. Yes. And the one that I use the most is TransWeb. And the reason why I like it is because that's exactly what it is, is it's a fusible webbing. And when I'm quilting it, the needle just pushes the webbing aside and creates its own path. So I feel like I'm actually quilting just a slightly stiff piece of fabric as opposed to quilting an entire sandwich. Okay. Interesting. I have not seen that material before. I'll have to get it. My mom and I are both art quilters at heart, and so we've it's, not tried it's that. It's hard one. to find, so I I order it by the bolts off of Amazon. That's where I was going to look first. I have an Amazon problem. <laughs> so. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Um, so I, I wanted to, to I wanted to to um, 
go for a moment from talking about technique to something a little bit more, um, I guess I could say fraught. Uh, you mentioned earlier about this quilt that you're working on in terms of the African Americans who have uh, passed or been been, I'll just say it publicly uh, murdered or or attacked. So, yes. um, and and I say all of this, and I qualify this. I say all of this is is you know a 53 year old white guy who grew up in the South in Macon, Georgia, and. I'm still kind of open to very open to learning. And, um, but I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm going to try to ask is um, how do you, how do you think about, or um, you're being an African American in terms of quilting, because what I've noticed in the past, um, let's say four to five months is that, the quilting world is not immune from larger social and uh, discussions about racial inequity. Um, and I've seen heated conversations in many quilting groups. And I just wonder what your thoughts are um, without putting you on the spot uh, about being an African-American quilter in 2020 in the U S well, as far as the project that I'm working on, I'm wanting to make a statement without people taking it to be a political or racial statement. I want to raise awareness by doing this quilt. That, oh, I love that. Yeah. That there is an issue, maybe not all over, but in some areas that there is an issue as far as the systemic racism, as far as the just plain out racism and how an innocent person can be murdered or killed. And Breonna Taylor comes to mind. Mm. Um, there was a situation here in Dallas uh, where a female officer walked into the wrong, wrong apartment and mm -hmm. she killed a guy in his own apartment. So, I mean, there's accidents that happen and some people never know about because the media doesn't really cover them as much as the more publicized ones. So this quilt is my way of expressing a lot of the deaths that have occurred this year without trying to go into some kind of a, a rant as a racial militant. So I'm yeah. hoping that and people it's... will look at it from a positive point of view and not a negative point of view. That would that it, that's got to be so hard given the political climate and the emotional climate of the country this year dealing with all of the unrest plus the pandemic plus the isolation and that's having an effect on everyone so oh i hope you are able to pull it off because it's so important so oh, important. i am i am hoping wishing and praying that people look at it from the positive aspect and from awareness and that I'm not trying to raise this big racial statement. Yeah. Well, I imagine if people read the artist statement, which, you know, sometimes they don't if they don't want right. to hear it. But if they read the artist statement, they will understand and feel the emotion coming through and the hope coming through. So. And that's another oh, man, reason why. I, that's another reason why I chose it is because of the emotion 
uh, the passion that I have because there's times when all I do is go to work and I come home and my partner who is white, my neighbor who is white, they do my shopping for me because they know some days that I'm dealing with a lot after having worked retail. I deal with racism on a weekly basis. Wow. And it's because of the uh, the area outside of Dallas that I live in that some people still don't feel that I am an equal. So they will go to a Caucasian employee before they'll come to me. And I normally can spot them right off the bat. So I just let things go. And then nine times out of 10, they come over and say, uh, they're wanting to know about this and it's something to do with quilting, sewing or fabric. So I still end up having to help them, even though they didn't want my help to begin with. Do you process what's happening? A lot of artists do this. Do you process what's happening in the world through your art? Does it help you heal at all? Or does it, it spin it you helps up? Me, I mean, it helps me heal a little bit, but it also makes me feel helpless in a way. <laughs> and that's another reason why I do it, hoping that someone will understand where I'm trying to come from and that they'll jump on board with me. Oh, wonderful. I mean, it sounds from, I mean this, this is going to sound political, but I'll just say it. It sounds from what you're saying um, and the way that you're describing this quilt is that you, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me from what you said that what you're trying to do in this quilt that you're working on is express the basic humanity of these people who are victims. Um, and oftentimes I feel like in our very politicized and very heated um, uh, world and the way that we access and process information that if people have a certain viewpoint that uh, what's often lost in, in these stories is the humanity of the person who died. Um, oftentimes you see people bringing up past arrest, et cetera. And what, what's lost in that is that this is a person they live, they breathe, they had their own dreams and hopes. Um, and it sounds like that you're trying to get some of that across, um, in your quilt. Exactly. I mean, everyone has a past. It doesn't matter what race you are. And we have not always made the wisest of decisions, but we are humans. We will make mistakes and we try to learn from those mistakes. So yes, I definitely, I'm trying to get across the humanity side of, of the entire situation. Yeah. Not obsessing on the mistake, but ob obsessing on the, how to fix it. I like that. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I think that maybe I should add some Caucasian incidences in there or other races so that maybe people won't miss, um, miss, understand where I'm trying to come from. But then I stop and look back and, and think, no, this was my original objective and I want to stick with my original plan. And yeah. And keep in mind, you're doing it for you, not for them. Yeah. You know? and, <laughs> I mean, as, stick, as an stick artist, with your gut. stick with yeah, your gut. As an artist, I have to remember, I'm not playing to the audience. I'm playing to my heart. Very true. So, Okay, well, shifting off of yes. the politics, which Sorry. we said we were not going to do. Yeah, yeah. So, Sorry so, about that. 
No, 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 no you didn't okay. do it. We that's asked okay. the question. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's part of our art and yeah. part of our craft. And and it's always interesting whenever I post um, an article about political quilts and people uh, who know me and don't know much about quilting are always shocked. And I'm like, why would you be shocked? Of course, art has always been political. Always. Of course, they're political quilts. <laughs> I agree. So, so to shift back, though, how did you start teaching your quilting and piecing technique? Because I know you do teach classes or you did before COVID. Well, and I really am trying to get away from teaching so that I can do more of my own stuff. But now everyone's talking to me about doing virtual teaching and virtual lectures. Um, I do enjoy teaching, but it pulls me away from my passion, which is creating these pieces that I want to share with the world. Um, I got started because I was trying to connect with African-American quilters. So I was invited to the local guild here, and uh, the lady had invited me for a couple of years prior to me going. And I was working a part-time job and working nights in a factory comes in one day and I was working at Joanne's and she said, even though you're going to tell me no, like you have for the last two years, she said, we have a guild meeting tonight. And I said, oh, cool. I said, what time? And she looked at me very surprised and she said, excuse me. I said, I got laid off uh, last night. I said, so I said, I'm free to come to guild meetings now. And she says, well, sorry that you got laid off, but this is the time that everything starts. So I went and there were no African-American quilters that first time. So the second time I went, there was. And we were kind of gabbing during the meeting and they introduced the speaker and she goes running up front. And I was like, oh, I still didn't make a connection. But I took a couple of workshops from her and then I put my own spin to the two techniques that she taught, which was uh, a layering technique and a collage technique. And she taught the collage first and the layering second, where if she had taught them vice versa, I would have understood the techniques a lot faster. So I ended up taking what she taught and putting my own spin to it. And then the next thing I know, I have people in the guild saying, well, you teach us. So Mm. I taught them. They talked me into entering a quilt show and After going to the show, I discovered I was not really ready to be entering competitions. So I laid out of competitions for five years, but I was teaching in the meantime. And just through teaching, word of mouth, um, I developed a following. So when I did finally enter, it was my John Lennon quilt. Mm -hmm. And that brought me so much fame and notoriety that I have had gills from other states contacting me. So that was another reason why I wanted uh, the John Lennon and the Martin Luther King to travel with Sewing Expo exhibit because I wanted to branch out even further. And they're traveling the East Coast right now. Oh, wow. That is fantastic. I love that story. But that's how it starts. You do something interesting and people start pestering you to show them how. (laughs) But it's like, you know, this it took me 30 years to get to this point. How am I going to distill that down to two hours? Right. Right. Um, So what inspires a new quilt? When you get an idea, do you start on it right away? Does it percolate for a while? Actually, both. Uh, Sometimes, like, say, when Prince passed away, 
I had the pattern created for him within 30 minutes of hearing of his death. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. I have a Charlie Chaplin that is a confetti collage technique. And I found this picture that I fell in love with, but I wasn't quite for sure what I was going to do with it. And it sat there for, I know, two years before I finally said, this is what I'm going to do with it. Well, sometimes it's a matter of getting your skills to the level where you feel like you can do it justice. That's true. So a lot of times I'll have a fantastic idea, but I I know I'm not ready yet. That is true. Okay. Well, we've already asked you if you have any right now, so I'm going to cross out that question and not do that. (laughs) And another funny thing is when I speak, people always talk to me about how many works in progress I have. And nine times out of 10, I'll have a minimum of, of nine and mm-hmm. as many, I've had 18 before. Yeah. Do you love the question? How long does it take you? I hate I that always, I know. I hate it. So <laughs> I, I just say it takes as long as it takes. You know, some quilts are quick, like the Prince quilt. Very true. Quick for you. And some of them, it's just, you have to get them out. And some of them, no, it's it's like a, a long European meal. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, 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 and I think that the, the average person, again, who's not familiar with quilting has literally no idea. In right. this age of Facebook or throwing up a photo on Instagram, they have but, no idea that like something small could take hours and hours and hours. Oh, I've right. never but, thought of that. The but Instagram. I even have, I even have quilters that will ask me, well, how long did it take you to do that? And <laughs> some of them are amazed at the speed that I do some and the duration that it takes for others. And they're like, Oh, wow. With all the work that's in that one, I figured that it wouldn't have taken you quite that long to do it. And (laughs) then others are like, well, I figured that it, it took you that long, if not longer. So it really is the person's idea of, of what they think that I did to it as right. to whether or not they thought that it took very long or not. And sometimes do you find yourself, you get stuck on one and so you put it aside Yes, and work on another I- one. And to me, I will work on another one until my subconscious answers the question that I had about the first one. And then I go back. But that's what I, I that's the reason why I have so many going at one time yes. is I'll either get burned out or it's like, I don't know if I'm done with this one, so let's just sit it to the side because I don't want to start quilting and then come up with something else that I want to do to it. Exactly. Yeah. So, excellent. So uh, going back to your thing about teaching and, and people talking about video teaching, so here's a suggestion that I have for you, okay. where you where you could teach and actually make money, but it doesn't take all of your time. And that's to record a series of classes, video, and then sell those. Um, and that's what I'm checking into. Someone contacted <laughs> me this week with that idea. I, I actually, I actually have a friend who was the first person that I interviewed on this podcast, Tim Natar. She's uh, nationally, probably internationally known, um, and she lives locally. And we've been friends uh, for a long time. And during the pandemic, she's released three different video classes. So she recorded it once and then she makes money when someone buys it. So that's kind of like the ideal. (laughs) Yeah. And the beautiful thing about that, Leo, and I'm sure you can relate, is you can only have to do class samples once. 
<laughs> and that's yes. what makes that's what makes teaching so hard is because you you make a class sample and then in class you use it so you don't have a class sample anymore. So then you have to go make another one. Right. And, and so it's I, never ending. I have, I have duplicates of things because I've had to send them in three to four different directions. Uh-huh. Right. So do you quilt your quilts yourself? Um I started out my competition quilts. Um, my long armor's name is Richard Larson, and he is a nationally award-winning long armor. And if I can't figure out what kind of justice to give it, I will pass it on to him and just let him work his magic. I put no boundaries on him whatsoever. And everything that he has quilted for me, we've always won an award for. Oh, wow. That's wow. fantastic. That's great. So, so I'm, I'm getting there slowly. And sometimes I just call him and talk to him. And he says, you already knew what you wanted to do. He says, you just needed to talk it out with someone. And so I appreciate him listening to me as well. That's great to have that uh, partnership where you just trust the quilter to just do what works. I, you mentioned, if, okay. I was just going to say, I rant and rave about how great this man is as far as his quilting. And in the beginning, I told him, I said, if my best quilting was as good as what you consider your bad quilting, I said, I would be so proud of myself. And ever since then, I've thought about what I said to him. So it helps me to build on what I think is, is my bad quilting. Well, in some cases though, you have to remember, don't compare your best day to their worst day because again, it took him a long time to get to this point. Yes. And you know, you're, you're still learning as far as the actual quilting goes. And so you have to be kinder to yourself because you were kind to yourself when you started learning the collage or you wouldn't have kept going. Well, and we're so, our, we are our own worst critics. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes I have pieces that I don't like for people to see. And <laughs> my partner might have accidentally packed one of them. And someone will say, why didn't you talk about that one? And then it turns into another discussion. So after the lecture, they want to come up and inspect the one that I didn't want to talk about. <laughs> well, right. And, they always want to look at your shame. Right. And you know, they're over just, there running, running and raving. And I'm just looking at them going, I don't know if I should take this as a compliment or feel like maybe they don't know what they're looking at. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the it's the human tendency to go, yeah, but but look, there's a corner in the quilting right there. And, you know, that color doesn't go. And, <laughs> and so, I mean, I can I'm. I have to stifle the urge to point out to people when, oh, that little piece is turned the wrong way. Or yeah, right. my yeah. intention. I mean, I, I is say not that as someone all. who, before getting on this call, was ripping apart a block that had ten or twenty pieces because uh-huh. one piece was in the wrong direction. Oh, um, would that I have think, been you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think we're all, all our worst critics. But I, I knew I knew that, like, if I left it in there, that it was just going to bother me. Right. You would obsess. Yeah. So, I mean, the artist has to ultimately make the decision. And sometimes 
tell me if I'm wrong here, Leo, sometimes the ones that you don't feel are successful, you've learned all you needed to learn from that one and you don't need to do anything else to it. And so I think of those as more of an exercise than something I'm not proud of. I was moving through a question and I've answered that question. So now I'm moving on. Right. So that is a very good way of looking at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a teacher and so... I will tell kids, don't focus on what you did wrong. Focus on what you learned from it so that you don't make that mistake again. And is- it's it helps. It's not negative. You're not going, man, that sucked because I have a corner in my stitching right there. Right. So- yeah, I, I have to say, though, I do draw the line somewhere. I, I have a quilting friend uh, who will routinely pick out quilting and, and re-sew parts of the top. And that's where I'm like, that's that's a bridge too far for me. Like once I start quilting, well, first of all, I have a long armor who does most of it. But if, once it's started quilting, I'm not going to pick things out. And <laughs> I've well, done Jeff, that once. I've, Jeff, I've, you can yeah. add me to that list. Yeah, I've done that one time because the quilt itself was too good to let bad quilting diminish that. Yes, and so my husband and I sat on the couch for two weeks and ripped out all of the quilting. And you know, I was going to leave it, but then I showed it to him and he said, well, I don't know. That's okay. Said, okay. Your reaction's the same. All right. It, it goes. And so I ripped it out and I have never regretted it. Although I've only done it one and a half times. So. I have actually done it four times. Yeah, because if you know that your piece is amazing, but the quilting makes it less amazing or one little thing makes it less amazing, like you discovered, Jeff, with the one that you just pulled out a section because you knew it was going to bother you. But otherwise, it's so good. Then do it again. You're doing this for you. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody has to figure out what that line is for them. Right. And I'll cross the line sometimes. There are exceptions. (laughs) But I think another reason why I do it is because one of my friends who taught me how to do bindings, she said, with the level that you've reached, she said, people are constantly going to look at little bitty things that you've done on your quilting. She said, and they're going to gonna expect more from you. She said, so she said, don't beat yourself up just because you're taking the quilting back out or you didn't like the way one of your corners didn't measure up on your binding. She said, because she said people that really respect you and love your work, she said, they're going to look at little stuff like that. She said, they're not going to point it out. She said, they notice. Yeah, that's true. And I know it'll never be perfect, but I want it to be to a level where they say, okay, Leo did a great job on that. Yeah. Perfection is intended, not guaranteed. Yes. (laughs) So if you were talking to in that light, so that quilter was talking to you, if you were talking to someone who's intrigued by quilting and maybe a little intimidated, what advice would you give them? I know you said you skipped being a beginner because you went straight from dabbling to teaching people how to do it. Yes. And that also pushed me in the master categories when I decided to enter. Yeah, I had the same experience. It's kind of scary. Very scary. Yeah. And in Dallas, I would imagine that's scarier than here in North Alabama. The, <laughs> the, um, the professional category here had fewer people in it. So you're more likely to get a ribbon. <laughs> right. But I was so amazed when I found out my John Lennon 
beat out this one quilter that I have idolized for years. And I didn't even know she was in the show that year. And we happened to be in the same category. And she came in second to me. And I kept staring at my piece and staring at her piece and trying to figure out what the judges might have been thinking that day. And by the end of the day, I was like, no, this was a great piece that I did. And she did her best. I did my best. And I just happened to come out on top. So and who, much who's judging. the other quilter? Melinda Bueller. Uh, uh, oh, she's, I've taken a class with her. She's amazing. She is. And I love her. So, yeah, I do too. She's funny. She actually pushed me to do one of what I consider my breakthrough quilts. Um, she, cause I showed her my idea and she says, you can't not, you have to do that. Right. Um, and that's the kind of inspiration I love when somebody says, oh, no, 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 go do it. Go do it. Go, go, go. If, if you had a traditionally, um, so say you went to a guild meeting and you showed your amazing portraiture work and you had a traditional quilter come to you and ask about how to make that switch, what would you tell them? Well, I was going to get back to that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I, oh, I have actually had someone come up to me and say, I am a traditionalist, but I want to try my hand at what you're doing. And I'll tell them the best way to try this is to start out with a very easy piece that appeals to you as an individual. And I feel that if they do it that way, they will possibly finish the piece and not just put it to the side if they get frustrated with it. Uh, I've got a little lady right now. I feel like I've created a monster. She started (laughs) out with my silhouette class and she kept texting me and saying, uh, I need to buy more patterns. I need to buy more patterns. And so I ended up selling her, I don't know how many patterns in the last two weeks. And she sent me pictures of all of these that she completes, but she is so inspired by the technique and how easy it actually is. And she was a traditionalist to begin with. And now I think she's switching on me, but uh, she just took my layering class And she likes it, but she loves the silhouette a little bit better. So now she's wanting me to teach her how to create patterns from her own photographs. So I would say, I would say the best thing to do is try something that appeals to you. And exactly. Energy attracts energy. Yeah. Yes. If, if you see something, if you see something that really speaks to your heart and you notice a pattern in what you're, you know, pattern, like mathematical pattern, you notice a consistency in what gets you excited, that's energy attracting energy. And that's what you need to be doing. Yes. So yeah, very, very cool. Excellent. So when you get into a sewing or creative funk, what do you do to get out of it? Actually, when I reach that point, whatever it is that I'm working on, like those works in progress, I will plaster them all over the sewing room and I'll have them hanging on the front of the door, on the back of the door, taped to the side of uh, one of my caddies. I'll have it laying on the sewing machine, on my work table, pinned on the design wall. And I'll just look at them every day. And then all of a sudden it's like, I know what I need to do now. And I can take off. Yeah. I can take off on that on that one piece 
which will normally get me in the mood to try and complete something else after I get that one completed. So bombarding yourself with the idea. That is brilliant. I'll have to try that. I'm curious, has the, the pandemic impacted your creativity and quilting? Those stupid masks have impacted me. <laughs> every, time, every time I look up, someone's going, oh, I love your mask. And they'll want to buy some masks from me. And one week that I was taking vacation so that I could play with, I got a computer put on my long arm. And I planned on playing with the computer that week. Well, the person installing it had to schedule for later in the week. And I had a lady ask me if I could make 200 masks for her school. Mm -hmm. So from that previous Saturday up until that Wednesday night, I was making those 200 masks for that lady. Wow. Do you find that there's an emotional load to making masks and you can only take it for so long? I have actually made, and I made sure that I keep track of my count, 1,342 masks. And that's not wow. counting the 48 that I own myself. Yeah, I just, I did not, I have not counted and I refuse to take money for it because that prevents people from asking. I don't want to know. I don't want to know how many I've made. And I started out giving them away and I still give them away. But when people start requesting things that I either don't have sewn up or they start wanting some of my quilting fabric, which I'm very possessive of. Yes, I charge them. I don't charge them an arm and a leg, but I at least charge them for the supplies. Very good. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't know how we got off on the mask. Well, we asked how, how the pandemic has affected you. Yeah. So, well, that, uh, I mean, that's fair. You. I think, yeah. yeah. That's a lot of masks. <laughs> it is a lot of masks. That's a lot of time that could have been spent with the idea bombarding you. Yes. And but I would, since, I get jealous. Well, since getting the computer put on the long arm, I'm still finding that I'm doing more quilting on my domestic and on that long arm as far as my art is concerned. And it, I really thought that the long arm was going to be a shortcut for some of my quilting. And in some cases it is, but for most, I'd rather sit at the, my mid-arm and, and sew it or quilt. What kind of long arm do you have? I have always liked the nulting long arms. So that's what I ended up buying when I decided to get one. Yeah, I'm recently an Innova convert. And like you, I was hoping it would be a um, a shortcut. And in some ways it is, but I'm also intimidated because I'm still kind of feeling like a beginner. Yes. And... And it's hard to get over that hump. It gives me some, I don't know, maybe this is you too, it, some humility and understanding and empathy for people who are intimidated by my previous work. Right. Because I'm having to go through that learning process that they're going through for a technique I mastered a long time ago. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's humbling. Very yeah. Do you have a favorite quilt that you have ever made, or is the current one your favorite? Actually, 
I have more than one favorite. <laughs> Everyone says your that they're child. like their babies, <laughs> and they really are. Because yeah. I had to talk to the long armor yeah, before I would even let John Lennon and Martin Luther King travel. And he says, you've got to let yeah. them leave the nest sooner or later. So that's how they ended up traveling. But the one that, that I gets can, easier. Well, the one that I made for the Dallas Quilt Show this year is mm-hmm. actually one of my favorites along with those two. And I hate that not very many people have got to see it this year because they canceled the quilt show the mm-hmm. night before it was supposed to open. Oh, wow. So the only people that have seen this are the ones that were at the, the viewing party the night before the quilt show. Wow. So were they hung already by the time they canceled yes. it? Yes. Oh, that's so much work. And so which <laughs> one was that? Which they were hung, show? judged, and everything. Uh, that was the Dallas show? Yes. Goodness. And this one I entered in the same category, which was uh, 2020 Double Vision. Oh, so wow. Okay. The piece that I did is called Double the Hipster. And it's my cousin's husband. His name's Cedric. And he dressed so hipsterish. So there was this photograph of him. And I asked my cousin, I said, do you mind if I make a, a quilt out of this photo of Cedric? And she goes, go for it. So when I was done with the quilt, I sent it, a picture of it to them, and he just ran it and raved. He said, I am amazed at what you did with such a simple picture. But I integrated two separate pieces that I created of him into one. And that was actually a five-year process. Wow. So when you were saying you use um, Photoshop, do you use a particular filter like the posterize or? Uh, the grayscaling and the posterize mainly. Okay. So, sorry, that was, that was a question for me, not for listeners. Just <laughs> So are there, are there quilters that have inspired you along the way? Yes, there are. Um, I originally got started uh, doing this. I had seen some stuff by Luke Haynes before Mm -hmm. I met the one lady that I took the classes from and I looked at her stuff and her stuff was very artsy. It wasn't as realistic, but it was artsy. And I started thinking about uh, Luke Haynes and I was like, I'm going to take this. So maybe I can do something similar to what Luke does. And now I feel like it's gone in a totally different direction, even though I would say he was my beginning. Well, that's how you make it yours. You go yes. off into the weeds from what they taught you. Sometimes a teacher will unlock something you've wondered about for a while. Yes. So I, I love it watching a kid, a kid, sorry, I teach high school, watching a student, watching a quilting student take something I've suggested and go off in a direction I never considered. That's the best. It really is. That is the best. Have you seen Holla Chatelaine's portraits in person? Yes. Any of hers? Yeah. She was the other one that I was going to mention. Uh, one of the little boys that she did, mm-hmm. before I even attempted to quilt anything, I was, I was showing uh, Richard the piece that I was wanting to do, and he brought her up. And I said, I can't do what she does. I said, because she actually paints and draws. That's and, what I call it. Isn't she a painter? Yes. Yeah. So anyways, what I have learned to do is I will take, say, a picture or a photograph 
and I will manipulate it until I can get it down to its outlines. And then I will draw that out on the piece that I'm trying to quilt. And then I'll sit there and quilt those faces in there. And when I first started out, my, my pieces that I quilted faces into did not look that great. But the more that I'm doing it, they're getting better. So what sewing machine do you use? You said a Nolting long arm. You said you had a mid arm. What kind is the mid arm? Well, actually, all of my domestic machines, and including the mid-arm, are brother sewing machines. I like so, the brothers because they're inexpensive. If they break down, you can just always go buy another. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're very mechanical, so you don't have to worry so much about right. a computer glitch causing problems. That's been my appreciation with them. If you're not mechanically minded, they're kind of annoying because you have uh, it's harder for a non-mechanical person to fix it. You can't just mess mess with that right. if you're not lacking confidence in mechanics. And see, I had a Juki um, before this one. And in my sewing room, I have some vintage sewing machines on the wall. And mm -hmm. my partner had hung a shelf. Well, part of that shelf came free. And mm -hmm. a German sewing machine fell and hit my Juki. Oh, no. <laughs> and it messed up the computer in it. And it was going to cost me 800 to get it fixed. Well, I found this brother mid-arm for 600 It's manual. But if I had found this before that one, I would have bought two of these. <laughs> there you go. I love my Juki me mechanical. Straight so the Jukis scare me. They go so fast that I'm afraid oh I'm going to take a it. hand off. I know. They do, they do go very fast. <laughs> yes. So, so I sat down at one at a show and panicked. So where can people find you online to learn more about you and your quilts? Uh, right now, mainly I am on uh, Facebook. Um, they can either go to my personal page, Leo Ransom, or they can go to the page that I set up for myself, which is Leo's Lasting Images. Um, I'm on Instagram as uh, Ransomed Artwork Studio. Um, I don't do Twitter, and I am in the process of setting up a website right now. Excellent. Great. Well, it's been great speaking with you. We've been talking to quilter Leo Ransom. Leo, thanks for doing this interview, and people can find you online. Yes. And so thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so um, much.